try to start with a, a soft open here. Why do we need him? Almost no answer is wrong, so please. Uh, Yes. Yes. Um, if you love me, keep my commandments. So uh, the topic of today's lesson is the first of 15 or so lessons on the law. And um, I encourage you, if you can't be at all the lessons, to look at the uh, media pages that uh, our elder, Steve Bennett, and our deacon, uh, Mr. Johnson, run. And... uh, you know, follow along with the lessons because it will be iterative. Uh, this, isn't, this is kind of a, a big opener. Uh, there are a few kind of broadly themed openers and then it gets down into each commandment. Um, so I hope you benefit from these lessons. So what is the law? Oh yeah, before we go to this, uh, let me just... There's another. Let's get an idea of what our culture thinks the law is. Not this one. Let's pause this. There's another. I wanted to start with the uh, traditional view. Steve, I'm hearing the audio on my computer. Do you know how to get it on the TV? Okay. Man, just want to use YouTube. Got to skip the trial. We'll go ahead and skip the trial. Is anyone interested in the... Okay, we'll skip it. Uh, you said make sure it's not muted. Use the remote. I got LG. I got Sony. Like I told you guys, love and support. Every time. I mean, I mean, who's, is it, is it like my TV at home? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You've seen it. Good. We all familiar with this? So this is part of what our culture thinks about the Ten Commandments and God's law. Here's another take. I'm not endorsing either one. But this one's worth understanding. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Ten Commandments for all to obey. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, Ten Commandments for all to obey. Although I think we would respectfully disagree 
Oh no, what's happening now? Right here? Well, I'm gonna show you something right. We're talking about plastic totes. Okay, guy. You're done. Um, so, back to God's law. I think those two examples are relevant because uh, in the first example, we see almost like a, I wouldn't quite call it reverence, but almost like a, uh, like a view that God's law is so uh, lofty and weighty as to be inaccessible. Uh, when I see that old version of the Ten Commandments, um, it seems to be telling the story truthfully, but it seems to also be uh, kind of uh, telling a myth truthfully. Um, I don't know that the producers of the film were telling, were giving us this film because they believed it to be true. In the second example, um, it's a uh, it's a parody. You know, it's it's someone who's actually Jewish, uh, and I, I don't I don't mind parody. Sometimes parody reveals parts of what we believe that we won't admit. Um, it's easier to admit something with humor than um, not with humor. But I I do think it's it shouldn't be lost on us that um, our society does sometimes look at God's laws with, uh, you know, a, a lack of seriousness um, and, and an unhealthy amount of parody. Um, so, that's the cultural view, or at least two examples of the cultural view of the law. But uh, I'd like to move on to the main point of the lesson. Um, Steve said it earlier, and Joseph said something to this effect. God's law reveals himself to us and our need for him as our redeemer. Where would we be without the law? Um, A couple of big ideas. Not necessarily main points, but things that I certainly want to discuss is the connection between the law and the gospel. Sometimes we build a false dichotomy around the law and the gospel where the gospel is the answer to the law uh, in a way that the law doesn't matter anymore. And that, that would be a false dichotomy. Um, a fal- another false dichotomy would be that uh, if it's Old Testament, it's law, and it doesn't apply. And if it's New Testament, it's gospel. And it applies. We have some controversial passages, like head coverings, that seem sort of law-related. And they're in the New Testament. Uh, The New Testament tells us over and over again, we'll give an account for what we do and how we live. Um, We need to dump the notion that the law stopped counting uh, when Jesus was born or when Matthew began his record um, we're still answerable to the law. Um, but there is hope. We don't necessarily have to answer for ourselves if we are believers. Another big idea. Law is progressively unveiled over time from general to specific. So we start with very simple instructions. Be fruitful and multiply. Um, eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of life. And then some stuff happens and pe- disobedience fall into sin. And Adam and Eve are, remember their coverings, their coverings were inadequate. Their coverings of plants were inadequate. So God sacrificed animals to give them animal skins to cover them. We don't yet have in Scripture at that point a, a revealed understanding of the rules of sacrifice, but it's clear that sacrifice is at play. 
I think, too, of um, all the instructions the Hebrews got regarding the Passover before they received the Ten Commandments. They had the Passover, which was very detailed. Um, sorry, are you raising your hand? Yes. There was some sort of general understanding of the law because being held accountable before there's a specific instruction in written stone. Yeah. God put the mark on him. He had done something wrong. He, they weren't necessarily, we don't know that they were told, but somehow they knew. So there's kind of a general understanding of the law. And I actually think that mirrors, uh, in a unique way, that mirrors... New Testament doctrine in the church today. So many doctrines in the church have only been well-defined after they've been poorly defined. After the violation, the church then comes back. The truth was there all along, but because there was no error, there was no answer to the error. So we go from general to specific. Um, And then another big idea Pharisees and Sadducees both misunderstood the law. Pharisees knew that it was difficult to keep the law like we know today. And their answer was to make more laws. If you can't keep the hard ones, we'll just make a bunch of slightly easier ones that you can keep. Um... And so they became all about uh, behavior management and law-keeping. Stole that from Pierre. Um, Instead of admitting that you can't keep the law and trusting in the Redeemer, let's just make a bunch of other laws that keep keep us even farther away um, from breaking the law. But all that does is work on the outside. That doesn't work on the inside. Sadducees. Um, the task of behavior management was so challenging to the Sadducees that they sort of <clears throat> notionalized the law and said, oh, well, it's good to keep the law. But if there's no resurrection... The law is sort of just a moral guide. Do your best. Our understanding of the law needs to come from a few basic points that we believe Scripture to be true. We believe God's standard to be real. And we believe Christ has taken the burden from us. So we here are free to understand the law for what it is. We don't have to, we don't have to go into the rules-based behavior management, and we don't have to go the other way into the uh, fictionalization of the law and the resurrection, because, because the resurrection is true, we're free to understand the law, and even our own inadequ- inadequacy and inability to keep the law. So I have a few scriptures listed there that we'll go through uh, throughout the lesson. Um, they're there for you if you want to go back to them at some point. Um, and I forgot to, if we have time, we'll get to my uh, confessional and catechism references. You'll have to jot those down, though. So, that's where we're at. If you uh, check out the note on the back One of the main resources I used for this was the American Gospel TV series, Law and Gospel. So a lot of my slides and snips and my my five-point outline loosely follows. I'll deviate a little bit from that lesson, but um, it's a really good resource. Uh, AGTV is a, I think it's a subscription resource, but it's really good. Um, You guys may have seen the documentary American Gospel. There are two of them working on a third one. There are Reformed Baptists, but, uh, you know, like I said, we're not, we're not going to go into behavior management. Um, 
Thank God for Reformed Baptists. They're the, they are part of the reason I stand here before you today. Um, long gospel, the law. So the, f- the first, there are those five questions, and we don't have to limit ourselves to these, but they're kind of a starting point. Before we get into the first question, I'd like to share with you this quote from someone named Machen, popular. You may have heard of him. A new and more powerful proclamation of the law is perhaps the most pressing need of the hour. Men would have little difficulty with the gospel if they had only learned the lesson of the law. So it always is. A low view of law always brings legalism and religion. A high view of law makes a man a seeker after grace. And that's from his published work, What is Faith? Any idea when he said that? Any idea when he said that? It's not recent. In our, in our, in our way of measuring, not recent. So this issue has been with us for a while. The example of the rich young ruler. This is one of those quotes that we might, not given the context, you might think that last line, keep the law and you will live. You might think that came from the Old Testament if you weren't given the context. But this is the New Testament. Uh Uh-oh. What do we do? He answered, love, this is from Luke 10, 27 through 28. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he's quoting the Ten Commandments, right? Well, he's taking the Ten Commandments and summarizing them into two making it easier, not quite, making it shorter. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. Um, Eleanor and I uh, once attended where uh, the minister had been at a previous church where their motto in the church was, loving God, loving others. And it was like on, a, on like a banner above the stage area. Loving God, loving others. And they had this slogan as like a, kind of like a who we are. What are our two basic things we're doing? But to hear the man who had been at the church describe it, they didn't realize that that was the law. That was Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments, and they were unable to keep it. And that was kind of the missing piece of their church slogan. So even when Jesus boils it down to these two, love God and love others, um, we still fall short. Uh, we, just, we just fall short more quickly. <laughs> it doesn't take ten, it just takes two sometimes. So of those five questions there, the first question, is God's law Good. I'm willing to entertain both sides. So, um, any initial answers? Is, law, is God's law good? Yes. All right. So we have some in the yes camp. I would say no, it's great. Oh, that's the third camp. I hadn't, I hadn't made room. Yeah. Good. No, it's great. Good answer. Uh, how do we know God's law is good? We seem to agree on this, so I won't debate you. Um, yeah, no, it's great, because God is good. Because he says it is. First Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good. So this is sort of like an assumed premise. Um, I guess you could... I guess you could criticize Paul for 
starting with the assumption that God is good and therefore his law is good. But I'm willing to give him those. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Uh Uh-oh, now we have some... So maybe there are situations where it can be bad if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. So don't read any further if you... I don't want to be hurtful. If you have this idea that um, you've stopped sinning, you should not keep reading. Or if you have this idea that... uh, Christ saved you, and since that time you have uh, no longer violated his ways. Don't keep reading. Um, There are some specific sins named out in this verse, and we should be aware of those, but we should also see that this is talking to everybody. So you've been warned. Not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This doesn't sound very New Testament-y, uh, when I think of like the bins of how we tend to that old versus new dichotomy, I actually thought about making this into a Jeopardy game where you would see the quote without any reference and then see where it came from because this is one of those that's like... So it, we've heard of churches that are, hey, we're, we're in, we have grace now. And they'll basically... They'll basically like stop after this part and just like leave to say that we have grace and to use that in a way that somehow means that we don't have to obey is a wrongful use of the law if one uses it lawfully so the law is good if we use it lawfully and if you find yourself not obeying the law like the whole most of the verse talks about it's for you if you, if you obeyed the law, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need it explained to you. Romans. You guys knew we were going to get to Romans, right? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. So the law reveals all this stuff to us. What then shall we say? The law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. That's an example. I think that probably applies to um, much of what's taught in God's law. We wouldn't have known. So, uh, Continuing on with Romans. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. makes me think of Martin Luther, his reaction when he was, uh, I think when he was a monk, he was reading the Psalms, and the psalmist said, I love your law. And Luther said, love God and his law. I hate it because I can't keep it, and it makes me feel miserable. So that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. Have no doubt the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But we're unable to keep it as we ought. So to sum up question one, is God's law good? God is good 
God's law, I left out a word there, sorry. God's law is good because it reveals the truth about God, including his character, his nature, his relationship to his creation, and the image in which we are made. So if we're told we're made in God's image, but then we don't have any way of knowing what that image is, here comes the law to tell us about righteousness. Uh, Does this go back? No, it exits. Here we go. So question number two. How was the law revealed in history? And this is kind of what I talked about in one of those big ideas, progressively unveiled over time from general to specific. So we think of the, one of the first things, given those videos especially, what's the first thing we often think of when we think of God's law? Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments. Any others? I mean, I'm sure we could dig into that more, but I think generally it's the Ten Commandments that most people think of. And that's good. That's not bad. But like we said in the introduction, law existed before the Ten Commandments. Genesis 1.22, God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seeds, and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. More Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What do we have now? It's not just a rule, but some consequences. It's getting serious. Like the be fruitful and multiply instruction wasn't like, it was, oh, yeah, cool, we'll get to it. Uh, But this has a consequence. Leviticus. Now we're really getting into some, some like depths of the law, right? The books where you have to like break the pages apart in your Bible. Haven't been there in a while. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's a pretty broad and uh, overarching summary of the law. Be holy, because God's holy. So all these laws, including the Ten Commandments that are revealed over time, bring us to the covenant of works. Um, You might say, like father, like son. So, because God is holy and we have to be holy, we have to obey his ways. And uh, something that I really liked from the, the man who was the narrator for the video, the instructor, he calls it peep obedience. Those like those uh, puffy treats at Easter. Um, perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. Which is, is a huge task. Um, there's no way out is what I take from that peep obedience. Whatever level of obedience you have, it's probably not that. Um, <clears throat> but I would also apply that same description of obedience to Christ's obedience. So whatever you find yourself lacking, you you will find the you will find the same and even more in Christ. <clears throat> peep, peep obedience, covenant of works. Do this. And you will live. And they use that heart with the word do in it and the Roman numerals to summarize anytime the law gets discussed. Different types of law. Moral, civil, and ceremonial. So the moral law, the the outline is really notes for me, so if it's a little bit like stream of consciousness, we can talk about it later if it's confusing. I don't want anyone to be confused by the outline. 
Um, but moral law, Ten Commandments, this is an ongoing law. Civil law, law that governed Israel, still debated today. There are Christians today who say that if you don't keep the old ways from the Old Testament, that you're not actually exercising your faith correctly. Things like worshiping on Saturday instead of Sunday. Um, I don't know how far they take that because, you know, Walmart is full of mixed fibers. So I don't know enough about their movement to know which laws they're saying are uh, fulfilled and which laws are maintained. But we have a friend who's in that. um, And she's constantly, I mean, bless her heart, she's constantly encouraging people to obey God's law, which isn't entirely bad. um, But we don't believe that it's... uh, for salvation. Uh, ceremonial law, fulfilled in Christ. Uh, one New Testament passage even uses the word abolished with the law, and I would say that I'm, this isn't a word study, so there's probably some nuances in that word, but also <clears throat> it applies to certain parts of the law more than others to say the law is abolished. For example, gone are the sacrifices because we have the perfect sacrifice. So, um, yeah, moral, civil, and ceremonial. A little bit more on that. Uh, Oops. Law was progressively revealed over time. It always existed within God's nature and character, but it came to light more fully throughout history as problems came up. Um, One of the resources I chose not to present to you guys is a Bible project video. Um, If you want to look at it, that's fine. It does... It does, sometimes Bible Project has images of Christ in cartoon form, but the narrator made a great point of like, a little bit of law is revealed, and then people sin, and then a little bit more law is revealed, and then people sin, and this kind of ongoing process, and I think you see the same thing in the New Testament. The church falls into error, and we refine the doctrine. The doctrine was always there, but the error caused us to answer the questions, to dig into Scripture. So... Uh, although it's easy, it's tempting to look back at the Old Testament. You know, Moses comes down with those, wait, was it 15 or 10? I can't remember from the video. It was 10. Uh, Moses comes down with those scriptures, and what are they already doing? They've already consolidated the gold and made a calf. And what's Aaron say? I don't know what happened. This calf just popped out of the fire. So he can't even admit his own uh, complicity So it's easy to look at that like, those silly Israelites, they're at it again. But really, we should see ourselves in that uh, constant tale. Steve? Yeah, although I do look back at that Romans 7, I think what Paul was saying was, we don't realize we're sinners until the law. But I thank you for making that point that uh, Israel and the church today were sinful the whole way through, um, which is why we have the law, to help us understand. Um, Question 3. What are the different functions of God's law? There's actually another lesson built for just this three uses of the law is uh, the answer to this question. But, so I, w- I don't want to dwell too much on the specific three uses because that's another lesson. But uh, a mirror, the first use, a mirror that reveals sin, like we were just talking about. Nice segue, Steve. Um, Heidelberg. This is a question two, I think. What is necessary for you to know that in this comfort, you may live and die in this comfort? Answer, the greatness of my sin and misery. And uh, I do have a more modern, I have this cool Bible that if you want to see it afterward, it's really helpful. 
It's got a bunch of the catechisms and confessions in the back. Really good resource uh, for home study. So the way it will be printed a little bit more modern, updated. Question two, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And it's actually a three-part answer. Three, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. And that's what this is getting at. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. So Heidelberg is really helpful here. I think, and even more uh, helpful is when you include the first question. Yeah. In, you know, what, in, what is your one great hope in life and death? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, and that is a good point. That is the comfort that it's referring to. So, my one hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. It's not for, it is law, excuse me, but it is not, uh, it's not a constrained, strangling uh, rules. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of rules that I could never follow. Yeah. I've got, yeah, that one's just right above. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So then question two refers back to that. Now that we know that, what, what do we have to know to really understand this comfort? Well, first we have to understand how great our sin is and how great our misery is. How do we learn from our sin and misery? This is question three. Or the more modern version would be, how do you come to know your sin and misery? And the answer is, is the law of God tells me, or the older version, out of the law of God. Quick quote from Moses. Oh, quick quote from John Calvin about Moses. Moses had no other intention than to invite all men to go straight to Christ. Um, They knew they had a Redeemer. They knew from the fall that a Redeemer would be born. So the law, this is the first use of the law, revealing our sin. Quote from Calvin, For Paul often means by the term law, the rule of righteousness living, the rule of righteous living by which God requires of us what is his own, giving us no hope of life unless we completely obey him and adding, on the other hand, a curse if we deviate, even in the slightest degree. And that's from Calvin and the Institutes. Michael Horton, quote, The law of God speaks, but it does not reform our hearts. So keep in mind, this lesson is from a larger lesson called the Law and Gospel, so you can, you can guess what the answer is on what actually reforms our hearts, the gospel of Christ, by the work of His Spirit. Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So be careful, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves in a place of uh, righteousness that is not from Christ. The law is designed to shut every mouth More Romans, chapter 2, verse 13. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers. You've heard the law, but are you doing it? And to that, uh, I made the annotation there. How are we doing? As doers of the law, how are we doing? Matthew 19, back to the examples of Jesus explaining the law. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do? to have eternal life. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So really, Jesus won't let us get away with this old versus new. The law is gone. The law is old. Luke chapter 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? 
And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Hosea. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So the law even reveals that uh, we fell with Adam and that we continue to add to that and it continues to pile higher and higher. Back to Luke. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So new or old, the law reveals our sin, and we can't simply explain away uh, the consequences of the law. Um, Heidelberg Catechism, can you keep all these things perfectly, is the question. And the answer is, in no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Um, the other two uses of the law, I don't want to dwell here. The civil use of the law um, restrains evil. And uh, then number three, a guide to sanctification. What I, will, what I would like to leave you with on the three uses of the law is that we have to be careful with the third use in particular, a guide to sanctification, because it's easy as a believer to treat, even though you are in Christ, to treat the third use of the law as though it is for righteousness' sake. And we mustn't do that. Right. The unlawful use. The unlawful use of the law. Yes. Yes, uh, because if we, do, if we do that, we're lost in our sins again. Um, but moving on to question. So let's, we'll get through question three. I just kind of summarized it. Uh, question four. What are the two relationships people can have to the lawgiver? Judge and Father. So unbelievers will stand before God as their judge, and believers are judged based on Christ's righteousness, and the judge is our father. And uh, one thing I liked about the, this resource in particular is they keyed in on this line in A Mighty Fortress, one little word shall fell him. And the uh, narrator spent some time asking, what is that word? And they brought up this quote from Luther. This is but a little word, and yet, notwithstanding, it comprehendeth all things. The mouth speaketh not, but the affections of the heart speaketh after this manner. Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side, and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from thy presence, yet I am thy child, and thou art my father. For Christ's sake, I am beloved because of the beloved. Wherefore, this little word, Father, conceived affectionately in the heart, passeth all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero, and all of the most eloquent rhetoricians that were ever in this world. So Luther, he's in on this word father, the difference between God being our father and being only our judge. Um, and remember, Luther, Luther once cried out that he, love God, I hate God because I can't keep his law. And he's always reminding me of my sin. God's law is revealed in his word. Um, Christ is the word become flesh. The law then stands in the hands of Jesus. With this connection, Jesus serves as our mediator. And that's uh, a couple more quotes from Luther, but this is that Irons quote. It arrives at the glorious conclusion that the moral law comes to believers from the hand of Christ. This is the logical implication of all that has gone before. The moral law is not erased or abolished, which is an impossibility since the moral law is nothing other than the ethical requirements rooted in God's unchanging nature. So why can Christ be our mediator? Christ is the, the word, the living word. The law is part of the word. There's this connection there. What were you going to say? He obeyed the law. Amen. Um, yeah, back to that peep. Perfectly. Exactly. 
entirely and perpetually. So just like we disobeyed in that way, he obeyed in that way. So, seeing where we're at, let's uh, talk about Jesus' relationship to the law. Question number five. Jesus was and is a lawkeeper and the only one. He obeyed his Father in every way, and not just for himself. He obeyed to redeem more sons. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. For our sake, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a cool quote from uh, Ursinus here. God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction and righteousness of the holiness and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. Flavel, John Flavel, question and answer. Did, did no man ever escape the sin of Adam? And his answer is, yes, the man Jesus Christ did, and he only. Was Christ not tainted with sin? Because he came into the world in an extraordinary way, now the birth of Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So, our answer to the law touches so many of our other Christian doctrines. Um, the Immaculate Conception. Um, Christ's uh, lifelong obedience and righteousness. He didn't obey for himself. He was already the Son of God. He already had that status. He obeyed for us. Um, Let's see. Already qualified. Jesus obeyed for us as our federal representative in our place. He merited righteousness on our behalf. Got a little ahead of myself. And then finally, there are no degrees of justification. Because justification is all based on Jesus' righteousness. That's why we have this Watson quote. Adore the infinite wisdom and goodness of God that found out a way to justify us by rich grace and precious blood. Isaiah 53. Out of anguish, his, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's, the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And then 1 Corinthians. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became, our wisdom, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Romans 8. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do sending his own son to atone for sin. So, um, sorry to rush through those last few quotes. They're written on the outline if you'd like to read through them later. The application. Um, There was a song uh, by a musician named Derek Webb. Uh, He's gone a different direction with his music nowadays, but uh, he had a song uh, that said, uh, on his album called Mockingbird, that said, give me a new law. Don't, don't teach me about truth and beauty, just label my music. Just tell me what music to listen to. Is that a Christian band? Uh, don't teach me about moderation and liberty, just, just, keep, just keep everything away from me that might create an issue of Christian liberty. Just a simple set of rules. But really, that, what he's, he's being sarcastic uh, and that, what that, the problem with having a new law as Christians is that foregoes the fact that we have to bear with one another in love when there's a violation or a perceived violation 
when our Christian liberty is being impinged or when maybe there's sin or the perception of sin. Um, the reason we don't go to a new law and a new set of rules is because we have to bear with one another. Uh, another point of application, original sin. Adam was our federal head. Uh, God would not have sacrificed his son if there was another option. If there was a way to keep the law and get out of this curse with Adam. Uh, and then the final thing I'll leave you with is how are we doing? Um, think about your week. Think what you did this week. Were you mostly good? Mostly not good? You know, did you go the extra mile? Did you turn the other cheek? And if you find yourself going, yeah, you know what? I was pretty good. I warn you to be careful um, because God came to save those who were not good. And if you want to be saved, you have to first know that you are not good and that you broke the law. Um, we're out of time. Uh, if there's one final question. Yeah, that's a great point that we don't, we don't always understand the context in which those laws were good because we don't understand God fully. Um, and we should be careful about passing judgment. Um, well, um, Mike, would you close us in prayer? Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for your time, everybody.